0: Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride inside our poorly climate controlled, but what am I going to do about it studios in the nether regions between the Mission and Soma in what is otherwise the most gorgeous city on earth. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, and I'm San Francisco Pride's communications person. I also use they, them pronouns. In the episode you are about to hear, our guest is someone I've honestly been looking forward to chatting with for quite some time. It's someone I haven't spoken with in a couple of years, just before I stepped down as editor of SF Weekly, where one of my duties was writing a weekly restaurant review, which just so happens to be her main role at the San Francisco Chronicle. That's right, our guest today is Soleil Ho. Soleil has been the Chronicle's food critic since 2019, where she's helped lead the reinvigorization of the food section into a POC-led powerhouse that champions marginalized voices, immigrants, the self-taught, the custodians of cherished family traditions and recipes, and simply people without a PR team, all without sacrificing any of the enthusiasm or the elan that is absent from so much cultural criticism today. She and I share a superficial spiritual connection in that she briefly lived in my Long Island hometown, hometown, and then I later briefly lived in the neighborhood of Brooklyn where she was mostly raised. She is also someone who orders fried chicken and gleefully gets mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, and a biscuit to go with it. Sole, welcome to The Queerness.
1: <laughs> what an intro. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have you here. I am going to start out ugly and then drag us into the realm of sweetness and light. You mentioned a few weeks ago in one of your columns that you were eager to start writing negative reviews again. Now, my guess is that during the pandemic, your your role as you know arbiter of excellence was subordinated to a desire to sort of cheerlead people who've really stepped up during a very challenging period for the hospitality industry, you know, if only out of simple human kindness. Is that true, or is there more? I think that's true
1: so so in that column, I compared writing a negative restaurant review right now to seeing your friend fall into a ditch and telling her that her lipstick is the wrong color, right. That's not the point. That's not what we're here for. Unfortunately, there are so many things that restaurants cannot control right now as far as supply chain issues, which we've heard a lot about in these past few months, you know, people can't even get chicken wings. So, um are you going to ding them for not having that thing on the menu? Are you going to ding them for running out of things? Are you going to ding them for not being able to hang on to staff? I mean, you know, that one is like a pretty contentious one. But the truth is, there are a a lot of jobs and not a lot of people who want to work those jobs. And that is just an intrinsic thing to the restaurant industry right now. Um, A lot of people either became disabled, died, um, or just left the industry, you know, willingly. So there's a lot going on with the way restaurants are right now. So it didn't feel fair to apply the same old rubric to them. And yeah, like, I'm excited to write negative reviews, because that just means things are entering a parody of circumstance. But (laughs) as Delta has shown us, uh, maybe not so much yet.
0: Yeah, it might be a little while. I don't know if you listen to the daily, the New York Times podcast, but they had someone on kind of talking about how a lot of people who work in in this industry simply died. And whenever there's grumbling about, oh, well, how do these people not want to go back to work? They just want to sit at home and collect unemployment. And I I like what you said about parity, like going back to how it was before, like (laughs) it's probably not happening anytime soon.
1: No, no. Um, And (laughs) it's so funny. I barely know what it's like to be a normal food Critic. This, I mean, I, I've been in the pandemic as a food critic longer than just a regular to regular food critic during normal times. So <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting moment of just trying to. Thankfully, I don't have a lot of entrenched sort of habits with regard to food criticism. Mm. Um, And I think there's more flexibility and more just newness intrinsically in it at the moment, which is fun.
0: And you're also hiring an assistant. What do you envision as the division of labor between the two of you? Is it going to be geographic or regional? Or is it simply like, I'll get X and you get Y, and hopefully we can be even more comprehensive? Or is it just going to depend on the person you hire? So
1: yeah, it's the associate critic job. I recently did the math, and the Bay Area's landmass is 6,900 square miles and I'm a single person, <laughs> a human, one stomach, two legs. And you know we realized, yes, it, 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 we want to represent the Bay Area and its food cultures, but it is really hard for one person to do reviews in that context and be comprehensive. So this person would help me essentially go out further and just hopefully do a lot of the scouting that I do. Because there's a lot, you know, as you know, There's a lot of eating that you do that isn't really conclusive, and it can feel like a waste of time if a place is mediocre or not great. And so (laughs) I do use a lot of time in my life just checking out new places, and maybe they don't make it. So doubling that would be amazing, just doubling that workload and like being able to to stretch out even farther.
0: Are you looking for particular skills in this person?
1: I'm not someone who came up in a traditional sort of journalism background, and that's... There's nothing wrong with that, I think.
0: Yeah, you and me both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's most important for me in someone who would be a partner in this would be just really great writing, a really great sensibility. Someone who cares deeply about the symbolic sort of aspects of restaurants and eating and someone who cares about um, – Gosh, someone who would never use the term ethnic restaurant. You know what I mean? And like that is surprisingly a very rare bird, as I've learned.
0: That was on your list of words that you won't use, which is something that you issued two and a half years ago, right, when you started. And I think it's still really much worth a read. You know, some of my absolute pet peeves are on there, like referring to something as quote unquote addictive or worse yet, crack. But you didn't include droolworthy, a a <laughs> dreadful A cliche that I loathe because drool is profoundly disgusting. And if I ever see anybody drooling over their food, I would run away and rip off my whole skin. Have you added any more words? Oh my gosh.
1: So (laughs) I don't have an intrinsic, I don't have an inherent dislike of drool just because I am very attracted to the macabre and to camp. So I I enjoy using kind of gross descriptors when I write about things just on purpose. (laughs) That's not something I object to, but... Let me think. Um, you know, I don't think I have any other ones. I think those are still like really really <laughs> you know, words like like crack, like you highlighted slutty. Oh my god, I'm slutty. Still
0: no, no, very no, no.
1: Sad about slutty and how it maintains itself. And and I respect I respect in theory people Fem people wanted to take back the word slutty yeah. when doing food stuff, but I hate it. I'm sorry, I hate it. I can't. I, in that in that regard, I will kink shame.
0: No, I love it. Um, in that back to that job posting, you you specifically name checked um, Ike's sandwiches as a place that this eventual hire needs the courage to omit from a list of best sandwiches. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, it's possible, possible that you were just choosing a random example of a popular place that needs to be on every pertinent listicle or else the writer of that listicle is going to hear criticism for it. Or, or are you with me that Ike sandwiches are poorly constructed glop fests whose ingredients squirt out when you bite into them?
1: I definitely agree that a sandwich should maintain its constitution when you eat it.
0: Very diplomatically put. We'll leave it there. Um, One of the things that always drove me crazy is when people get mad at you for writing like a strongly positive review about a wonderful place that's totally worth going to it's basically an act of love right the act of writing about this and it feels good but there's always someone who thinks that they have ownership over this place in spite of having you know no responsibility for its financial survival and then they go on to predict this onslaught of unspecified hipsters rampaging in to destroy it led by you a transplant (laughs) does that happen to you
1: you know i don't read the comments on any of my stories so i have no idea
0: what about people who tweet at you
1: oh my gosh i also have the filters on my twitter account so that i don't see mentions from people that i don't follow um i protect myself very much and i recommend that
0: i applaud that and i think that that is not an easy thing to do but i also just to probe you a little further, like, I feel like you're quite responsive to the community, which is not necessarily the same as jerk offs telling you you're stupid. But like, how do you balance that very real need to protect yourself with, you know, holding yourself accountable to San Francisco's incredibly opinionated dining community? How do you how do you differentiate good faith criticism from jerks?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really hard, actually. I soothe myself sometimes by thinking I'm not an elected official. They didn't pick me. Just like no one picked Michael Bauer. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to have to deal with it. Unfortunately, there's certain things that, for example, I just put out a list of my favorite fried chicken places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to leave out some places that people like and like, okay, I will file that away if you think I should put NOPA on there. But I'm not. I mean, you didn't vote for me. Doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, (laughs) In the end. Nobody will die because of the work that I do, thankfully, hopefully, you hopefully, know, yeah, yeah. unless I tell everyone to eat inside and just breathe all over each other. <laughs> but I will say that the stakes are fairly low. What I do instead, which feels a lot more relevant, is um, if I write about a smaller place and I know they're a smaller place and it's like one person, right, I will warn them beforehand and say... Just make sure you're ready. There might be a lot of people. Because sometimes it happens, right? With uh, Basuku cheesecakes, for instance, they just, after I wrote about them, they started selling out within seconds whenever they put stuff on sale. And the owner and I talked about it and I said, you know, just get ready. There might be some people who are weird. And so I just try to (laughs) prepare these people because a lot of them, especially during the pandemic with new pop ups, like they just don't know. They are used to their pace of doing things. And sometimes it can create a really bad situation if they're not ready.
0: Instagram food, in other words. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's it's a problem, but on the on the scale of problems, that's a good problem.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: There is another term on your list that I, I agree has has always rankled me and it is up and coming. Um, I agree with its inclusion on your list, both in letter and in spirit. But I do want to note that the idea of someplace being up and coming is kind of a cousin to the idea of shining a light on things that aren't yet well known. Is there anything underappreciated, whether that be a neighborhood or a cuisine that's just been on your mind lately?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Um, You know, I've thought a lot about just the integral role that Palestinian Americans have had in the Bay Area's food culture. When you think about Byright, for instance, Phil's Coffee, there are a lot of institutions that are Palestinian in origin that we don't really credit openly to Palestinians. Mm. Of course, there are some, you know, air quotes, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern restaurants that are open about it. But I think... We don't talk about it in a very nuanced way, I think. And I think the the local population, you know, the diaspora is so important to us as a community that I think just there needs to be more conversation about them and just with them um, about why they're here, kind of why it's so interesting for them to be serving hummus and falafel right? In addition to organic turkey and ice cream and coffee. I think that there's there's just so much there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Putting aside food for just a moment, also leaving aside the open question as to whether we're still properly in a raging pandemic or not, what is one thing that just thrills you these days?
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) So actually, um, I... Recently started exercising more.
0: <laughs> Same.
1: <laughs> and I hate exercising. And Same. for me, that is like the main reason why I would quit this job. Is just like so I don't have to exercise to make up for my life. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun. I hate that it's fun. I hate it. I'm so annoyed.
0: Wait, hold on. I got to. You mean like it's like there's a twee component that is. You're annoyed at yourself for enjoying, or what do you? What do you mean that you hate that it's fun?
1: I mean, like sweating feels good, and I never thought I would say that.
0: If I feel you're... like it took me until I was 39 years old to realize that endorphins are my drug of choice.
1: Ugh. Yeah, oh, I feel so normy, so chuggy. It's the worst. <laughs>
0: it's totally chuggy. But that's that qualifies as a thrill. That kind of highly qualified joy. Not, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing's giving you just making you feel childlike with wonder.
1: Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think of things that are not food. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm have. i also a plant millennial. I have a lot of plants that I talk to and baby Mm -hmm. and just love very much. That's become my thing during the pandemic. I, I never thought I would like flowers, but here I am with a bouquet on my desk.
0: That's really nice, though. You know, I had a dog for 15 years, but I've killed every plant that I've ever touched. And my boyfriend is just an amazing gardener. And so I have the, like, I live in a beautiful house filled with plants and flowers and I don't have to maintain or do anything about them. It's like so win-win.
1: Every new leaf that my rubber tree thingies bring up is just so exciting.
0: I love it. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, what is your relationship, if any, with San Francisco Pride? Have you ever attended?
1: I have not attended the main Pride. I've been to the Dyke March. And I've wept while watching the Dykes on Bikes rev up their engines. But I have not gone to the big parade or anything like that. I just don't. uh, It's not really
0: my scene. Crowds in general or? Well,
1: Dyke March crowds are great. You know what I mean? Like I like an uh, anti-capitalist, you know, trans-inclusive WLW type of scene.
0: Your mother recently had a tragedy during Hurricane Nora in Puerto Vallarta, when her restaurant was essentially flattened by the hurricane. At least one young person nearby was killed during the storm as well. Um, I want to say that I'm sorry about this news. That's very unfortunate. But you mentioned before we began recording that there was kind of a sweet side and that people in the community, American expats or party gays, as you call them, had kind of rallied to her cause because she's so well known in the community.
1: Yeah, well, I will say, um, ever since I was a little kid, my mom's been kind of a hag, if you know what I mean.
0: I sure (laughs) do. (laughs) I, I know that term.
1: Yeah, so she has that community around her. They love her. She loves them. And I think they've been really supportive in a way that, honestly, I was really skeptical of at first, because when I was living in Puerto Vallarta, the expat scene felt very extractive, felt very not connected to the local scene. And I'm just glad that that's not the case. And that when PV needed help, people came out. Um, They're also helping with the food bank and with rebuilding efforts of like locals homes too, not just expat stuff. And I
0: think that's really great. That is wonderful. Wonderful to hear. Yeah. Um, I wish her the best. And you too. One last question back to food though. Um, You're from New York. I'm from New York. Everyone thinks New Yorkers hate Bay area bagels. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that you think that that's as silly as I do. But what is something that you've very rarely had a good version of in the Bay Area?
1: (laughs) Well, I will say most of the time people think New Yorkers like care about what's happening outside of New York. That's not true. Um, (laughs) uh, What I will say is one thing I really miss um, in New York or from New York sorry is um <laughs> there's this place on I think ah oh, damn I think it's on Houston Street called Cocorone and it's this really fantastic soba spot mm. and there's like many places actually that have like pretty great soba um and here there's only like the one place soba ichi in Oakland that does really great soba there I think it's a lot more uh just it's just easier to get and also like the cheap super duper cheap, like uh, Punjabi food, incredible Punjabi deli, also in that neighborhood. So good. And yeah, I miss that.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: This has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my hardworking colleagues, Chris and RJB, and our much-missed former colleague, Shannon. Our magnificent guest on this episode was Soleho, Ho, the restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Without the generous support of our sponsors, none of this would be possible. So a big thank you to T-Mobile, Alaska Airlines, Anheuser-Busch, and Waymo. Our theme music was composed by La Frida. We strongly encourage you to like and subscribe to us, which helps increase the queerness's visibility on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, because you know we're all about queer visibility around here. I'm your sickening host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous. We'll see you next time.